Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone. This is Dan Cassetta. This is Changing Lives, Selling Knives podcast. And today I wanted to do a solo episode where I talk a little bit about the idea of building a dynamic organizational culture, either in your business, on a team that you're a part of, or even in uh, groups of people around you in your personal life, uh, perhaps even your family. A number of people have suggested that I do a solo episode on the podcast. Shout out to Darren Gardner for being one of those people uh, who really encouraged me and nudged me to get this released right away. So uh, I'm looking forward to sharing an interesting story with all of you here today, and then some lessons and ideas that came out of that story and some of my favorite concepts on building team culture. So first, I want to tell this story. And this is a story of when I was a branch manager in Vector Marketing and Cutco way back in 1991. And for those of you who are not in the vector business, I think that the story will have some uh, inspiration and excitement to it that you will get, even though there'll be some sort of inside baseball, so to speak, as I share some of the details of the story. But uh, the lessons that were born out of it, I think, will be valuable to all. And plus, you know, the story is probably a little more interesting to me than everyone else, but I wanted to hear it again anyway. So decided I would tell this. This is a story I've told once within my own Western region at a formal event. It's a story that I used to tell about once a year in my own Cutco Vector sales office in San Jose. But it's a story that has really not been told to people outside of the Western region, or at least a national level. So I'm excited to share with you the story of my 1991 summer branch manager experience. Vector Marketing gives college students a chance to run a summer branch office. If they've done well with the company and they've uh, done well in their sales and they've gained some management and leadership experience, they get a chance to run a summer branch office where they go to a territory where there's no current Cutco office or sort of in between you know, existing Cutco offices and they are able to recruit and train and develop their own team for a three, four, five-month period of time and compete with other branch managers all across the nation. It's an awesome experience to be able to run your own business for a short period of time. Uh, the company provides enough financial support that uh, people can do this by bringing a small amount of their own financial resources also to the table. And we call it the summer startup out here in Silicon Valley because it's a chance to you know, run your own startup operation for a short period of time. So it's very, very exciting. I ran a branch in the summer of 1990 
in Foster City, California. And we did all right. We were like 26th in the nation out of a hundred and some branches. And I had some success and I really felt like at the end of that summer, I wanted to do it again, that if I did it again, I could do really, really well. And I could potentially be number one in the company. So I set a goal to be the number one branch manager in the company for the summer of 1991. I spent that entire school year of 1991 preparing to go out and do this same thing again. I opened my office in the summer of 1991 in Redwood City, same basic territory. San Mateo County was the area that we covered between San Francisco and San Jose. So I spent this year preparing for this experience to go out and be the number one branch manager in the company, invested a lot of my time and energy into it. And I had some people that I had trained the previous summer that came back as assistant managers or key people to help run the office and help us do well. In the early part of the summer, we did all right. We were kind of pacing according to our projections, but we were getting crushed by some offices in other parts of the country. College students get out earlier in most other parts of the country than they do in California. So we were naturally a little bit behind some other offices early in the summer. Vector Marketing also operates on a three campaign per year system based on the calendar. January through April is one campaign. May through August is the summer campaign during which branch managers compete. And that ends the last Monday of August. And it starts out in May, the last Monday of April typically is when the campaign starts. So in the month of May, we were getting beat by some other offices. And while that was relatively normal and expected, it wasn't very motivating for me in terms of being able to be number one. At the end of June, we resided in fifth place in the nation. And we were $66,000 in sales behind the office that was number one at that point. Over the next two weeks, we went from fifth to second. So we really picked it up the first two weeks of July. We went from fifth to second. And we were in second place behind the very formidable competitor named Dave Durand. And Dave Durand went on to become a champion district manager in Vector, one of the quickest to advance to division manager, and ultimately became a regional manager as well in Vector Marketing and Cutco. So we were $66,000 behind that office. They were in Madison, Wisconsin, and there was nine weeks left in the summer. Uh, we closed the gap each week starting in July week one. We closed the gap every single week all the way down to where there was three weeks left. And then the third from last week, the Madison office beat us for the week. And when they beat us for the week, I think that they probably felt like, oh, we weathered the storm of these guys charging toward us. We've held them off. We got it. We were still $24,000 behind with two weeks left, but we had a little surge still left in us. Little did they know in Madison, Wisconsin, that we had that surge. We beat them by $13,000 the second to last week. That left an $11,000 deficit for the final week of the summer. At the start of that final week, my division manager came to the office for a team meeting we had on Monday morning, August 19th. My regional manager, Bruce Goodman, strategized with me to figure out, you know, how could we make this happen? And I remember one of the questions I asked him was, what is the most you think the Madison office could sell for that last week of August? What is the most you think they could do? And numbers were a little different back in 1991 than they are today, but the concept is, it holds true. Bruce told me, the most I think they can do is $20,000 for the week, 20 grand. They do 20 grand, that's bringing their A game, that's knocking it out of the park. And I said, all right, well, then we're going to do 32. 
right? We were behind by 11. So if they're going to do 20, we're going to do 32. We're going to beat them by a thousand bucks. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be crazy, but we're going to do $32,000 for the week. That was our goal. We stated that to all our reps. We launched everybody out to go have a great week that last week of August. The following Monday morning, August 26th, which was the final day of the competition, the final day, we had a meeting in the morning with all of our reps. And all of our reps were in the office. And I was, you know, opening up the meeting, talking about what's going on and what's exciting and things that are happening. And my assistant manager was over in the corner adding up all the orders. All right. This was 1991. There was no online order entry. There was no automated systems. Everything was written on paper, order forms, and we added them up using a calculator. So he's over there, you know, flipping through order forms, adding them up using a calculator. Remember, our goal was $32,000 for the week. I see him finish up the adding of the orders. He turns around and he's got a frown on his face and he's holding the calculator in his hand. And he walks up to me and he shows me the calculator. And I look at the number and it says 22,435. And I gulp a little bit and I let our team know, well, our goal is 32 grand for the week. We are at 22,435 right now. And one of my reps goes, oh, wait, I didn't turn in my orders. Her name was Jody, And she has like $2,000 of orders with her. <laughs> and also around that exact same moment, another one of my reps, a guy named Jonik, he comes walking in late to the meeting. He's got about $2,000 in orders with him. So we were actually at about $26,000 on Monday morning, the last day of the competition. So we needed to sell $6,000 the rest of the day. Now, back then, the way that Vector Weeks ended was when you put the orders in a UPS or Airborne Express or FedEx envelope and handed them off at the UPS office or had somebody come pick them up. That's when the week ended. Orders had to be in the factory in Western New York in Olean by Tuesday at 5 p.m. to count. That was the actual deadline. They had to be received in the factory by Tuesday at 5 p.m., all right? They couldn't be faxed. Faxed order deadline was Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. But the physical order deadline was they had to be received in Olean by 5 p.m. on Tuesday. So on the West Coast, that means we had to ship out our orders usually around 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock uh, in the afternoon. Maybe for other areas that were closer, they could ship out orders at 8 or 9 or you know a little bit later at night. But we had to have them shipped out by five or six o'clock in the afternoon. It was actually 5.45 if you physically went to the Airborne Express office, which is where we went typically at that time. So it's the last day. We're finishing our meeting. It's 10.30 in the morning. I launched a bunch of contests, fired up the team, said, go out, crush it, get back here by five o'clock with your orders, and let's see if we can get 6,000 more sold today. And our reps all went out, and they went out to try to have a big day, and some of them did. I went out and did an appointment. I quickly got an appointment with one of my previous customers. The lady's name was Janet Abbott. I went to her house in Hillsboro, California, and I sold her a galley set, which I believe was somewhere around 400 bucks back then in those days. I think the CPO, which is the number that counts for all the competitive races in Vector, which is a, a number based on the total sales minus anything we gave away for free, the CPO was like $370 on that order. So I sold that order and I came back to the office and reps were coming in, turning in orders, turning in more orders. And what I also started doing is I started fixing 
problem orders from the past. So back then, because there was no automated system, we used to have these things called problem orders, where an order got sent to the company, it was misadded, there was some mistake on it, the credit card was no good, whatever. And so the company sends it back to us to fix. So I had those, I was fixing all of our problem orders. We also used to have what we called UPS returns. So back in those days, we used to accept the customer paying for an order when it was delivered, or at least a portion of the order when it was delivered. And the UPS guy would knock on the door and say, hey, I got a package from Vector. There's a balance required here of, you know, whatever amount, 100 bucks, 200 bucks. And sometimes customers didn't know what Vector was, or they didn't speak English, or stuff happened where they couldn't pay. And those orders got returned and went negative. We could fix it, it would go positive again. So... I had my staff organize all of the UPS returns and all of the problem orders in descending order of size so that I could work on the biggest ones first. And I was sitting in the office that afternoon trying to figure out how could I fix some of these orders, calling customers, you know, working out deals with customers of like, okay, so you don't want to pay the extra, but how about if we make an order out of what you've already paid and great, we can adjust the order to this, fixing orders all the way down until the very last minute that I could possibly wait. And uh, we had to have the orders to the Airborne Express office by about 5.45 that day. So around 5.30, I scoop everything up. I go over to the Airborne Express office. The envelope's open and I'm sitting there and I'm still working on orders in the Airborne Express office. 5.30, 5.40, 5.45, 5.50, Finally, they say to me, hey, look, the truck is outside right now, ready to drive away, that this is it. And I stuff everything in the envelope. I seal the envelope. I run outside. I hand the envelope to the Airborne Express driver directly. And he drives away. And that was the end of my summer branch sales efforts. Or so I thought. So I go back to the office at that point to try to add up how much did we have in that envelope? How much in orders did we have in that envelope? And I add everything up. And it was... $34,200. And I am fired up. Our goal was 32. We did 34. We got this. Well, when I got back to the office, I noticed my folder that I would have all my supplies in was sitting there. And I opened up my folder and inside my folder was my order that I had sold to Janet Abbott that day. I had forgotten to put my own order into the envelope. And I literally thought to myself, no kidding you, this is exactly the thought I had in that moment was, if we lose this race, the silver cup is what it's called that you get when you're number one. If we lose the silver cup by 300 bucks, I am going to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge. That is literally the thought that came in my mind in that moment. I couldn't believe that I had forgotten to submit my own order. My mind started racing, thinking, what can I do? How can we still get this order? I quickly thought, okay, the rule is got to be in Olean by five o'clock on Tuesday. And I thought, is there any office that maybe hasn't shipped out orders yet? It's six o'clock Pacific time right? I'm calling offices in Alaska and Hawaii trying to figure out, hey, have you sent out your orders yet? Of course, they had all sent them out much earlier that day as they had to do to get their orders there in time back in those days. And so those weren't options. Somehow, somebody told me that 
there was another way to still get orders to only in New York by Tuesday at 5 p.m. But there was something called an airdrop that the airlines had. And so I started calling around trying to figure this out. And I reached someone at American Airlines who said, yes, we have something called a same-day shipment. Now, same day from West Coast to East Coast doesn't exist. right? So it was still overnight. But the bottom line was, what I had to do was have a package to American Airlines cargo desk later that night at San Jose Airport. And if I got the package to the San Jose Airport cargo desk later on that night, the deadline was 10 or 11 p.m., that they would put that on a flight to Buffalo, New York. It was a connecting flight that arrived in Buffalo sometime late in the morning or early afternoon the next day. And then they would then arrange for a courier to come pick up my package at Buffalo, New York, drive it down to Olean, which is about a two-hour drive, walk into the factory and hand it to the factory. Sealed package, just the same as a UPS driver would. And they'd have it there by five o'clock. In fact, they said they'd have it there by three or four o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. I said, oh my God, this is awesome. How much is it? And they told me it's 235 bucks. And I said, where do I have to be? And when do I have to be there? And we quickly got on the phone to all of our reps and said, we still have some more time. We've got a few more hours. Go out and do another appointment, get another sale, create something else. We can still get more orders and make this happen. And I felt so relieved that I would at least be able to get my own order into the company. I didn't know how much more business we'd generate in the next couple hours that night, but I knew it would probably be something that could make a difference. So we rallied the team to try to get some more sales and some more appointments. And a few of the key reps went out and did that. Later on that night, around 8 or 8.30 p.m., a guy came walking into the office. And this guy's name was Barry Galindo. And Barry was one of those reps who had just disappeared earlier in the summer. You know, he just kind of disappeared, stopped coming to meetings, stopped answering calls, right? We don't have cell phones back then, you know? We don't have easy ways to get a hold of people. Barry just vanished. We thought he had quit, disappeared. Barry comes walking into the office that night and he says, hey, did we win? And we're like, Barry, this is it. It's the last day. It's the last night right now. And he says, oh, I've got an order. We're like, awesome, man. What happened? Where you been? Barry Galindo told us that he had developed some very, very virulent stomach ailment. He was in the hospital and he almost died. And we're like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. But he said, but I'm okay now. I, you know, I just got out of the hospital. I wanted to come in and see what happened. Did we win? We told him, yeah, it's the last day. This is it right now. He turned in this order that he had had with him for quite some time. And we asked him, hey, Barry, is there anybody else you could sell to? He says, well, my sister wants a paring knife. I said, awesome. Call her right now. Get the order over the phone. Get her credit card. He called his sister right there on the spot, sold her one paring knife over the phone. It was 28 bucks back in those days. Those of you that are current Vector reps are thinking, wow, times have changed. Yes, times have changed indeed. We had Barry's couple orders. We had my order. We had a few other orders that came in from other various reps throughout uh, the night. And at the end of the night, we put those extra orders in another envelope, sealed it up, brought it down to San Jose Airport. I brought it down personally to San Jose Airport, dropped it off, paid 235 bucks, 
and was, you know, eagerly awaiting that envelope would get to Olean the next afternoon, which it did, by the way. And I went back to the office and we again added up how much did we sell this week? And the final sales report for the week was 36,901. 36,901. Now, in addition to that, we had also fixed quite a few of our old problem orders and UPS returns. I didn't have a really accurate number on that, but it certainly was something like three or 4,000 more that we had fixed in problem orders. So we really did like 40 grand, something like that is what we were expecting to have tab as it's called for the week. Well, the next day, on Tuesdays, we always get what's called the National Sales Report, and it shows what every office in the company sold for the week. Well, the number one office in the company, not just among branches, among every office in the company, among division pilot offices, district offices, the number one overall office in the company, San Mateo County Branch Office. Sales Report 36901 The number two office in the company for the week was the Madison, Wisconsin branch office. And the sales report number was 27,328. So we beat them by 9,600 on the sales that happened for the week. We were down by 11,000. Again, though, we had a lot of orders we fixed that were old orders that had to be fixed and reprocessed. But presumably, so did they. So we knew this was going to be really, really, really close. We didn't know how close, but we knew it was going to be really close. And we knew it was going to take two or three days before the final numbers came out. Those next couple days, I could not eat. I could not sleep. I couldn't do anything. I could not function as a normal human being. I was so nervous. I had invested a year of my life into this goal, eight or nine months preparing to execute at a high level, three to four months working hard, executing every day, bringing my best, a massive final week, an incredible last day, and then thought, we've got this, only to realize, oh no, maybe we don't. Thursday came around. And it was the day we would find out exactly what had happened. And I'm sitting in my office with the door closed by myself. My assistants and my key reps are over on the other side of the office, sitting in another room, all talking. And I know that Bruce Goodman, the region manager, he knew that I was going to be trying to find out what happened. And so he was trying to stay on top of exactly what was going on. He was calling Olean, trying to figure out exactly what was going on so that he could you know, be the one that would let me know, you know, what had happened. Well, that afternoon, I get a phone call from Bruce and he says, uh, Dan, we have results that are unofficial. I said, okay. And he says to me, it looks like you guys lost by $84. Now you can imagine how I felt in that moment. It was like a, a massive kick to the stomach. I couldn't believe it. All this effort, all this work, number two, by $84. 
He said, what does unofficial mean? He said, well, there's still some stuff that they have to figure out to make the numbers official. So we'll know maybe in another hour or so. And I said, all right. I hung up the phone. I could not bring myself to go tell my assistant managers. Sat there trying to think about the concept that uh, I learned from Jim Rohn, that the purpose of a goal is not to achieve the goal. It's in what you become in the process. And I thought to myself, well, what I've become in the process of striving for this goal is the same, whether we win by $84 or lose by $84. What I've become in this process has been the same. And there's value in that. But I, I still couldn't bring myself to go talk to my assistant managers about what had happened. And I was waiting for the final word from Bruce. Well, it was maybe about 45 minutes later that Bruce Goodman called me back. And he said, Dan, I got some interesting news for you. He says, we got a conference tomorrow, which was our end of summer conference that we had. And he says, no chance we can get a silver cup there in time. And I was like, what? And he says to me, you guys won by 12 bucks. And I was obviously incredibly stunned. I'm sure shedding tears of joy. Couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? What do you mean? How did this happen? And I later found out exactly what had happened that afternoon in Olean, New York. You see, when orders arrive in Olean, back then, they would big piles of paper orders would arrive every Tuesday. And the order processors that worked there would go grab like a big plastic bin, like a recycling bin, fill it with orders and walk over to their station and put it down and take the first order, type it in, process it, second order, type it in, process it, etc. And that would go on for a couple days as all the orders were processed, this manual process of typing in all the orders in, in the factory. And whenever there was a problem with an order, they would kick that one out and it would go in a different bin. Right? So if an order was overcharged, if it was, you know, something was wrong on it, credit card didn't go through, whatever, it would go in another bin. Right? As the order processors are typing in the orders, the totals are accumulating right, on the computer of the head of admin, who was Stu Smith back then, and a vector legend. You know, so Stu would see the numbers you know, increasing, increasing, increasing. Eventually, the numbers stop increasing, meaning it looks like all the orders have been processed. So he could see how much we had sold for the week. He could see how much Madison had sold for the week. He could add it to the previous totals. And he realized when everything stopped processing, well, it looked like we lost by $84. And that was the information Bruce Goodman first received that afternoon. Well, what happens at the end of that process is somebody who's trained in handling problem orders goes and picks up the problem order bin. And there were very specific rules by which they could fix a problem order in Olean. And if it didn't meet those rules, they'd have to send it back to us to fix in the field. Well, in that problem order bin was Barry Galindo's order that he had walked into the office with on that Monday night, a few nights earlier. And on Barry Galindo's order, one of the items was listed as one item number 1727, carving knife. Well, 1727 is not the item number for the carving knife. It's the item number for the carving fork. So when the order processor quickly typed in the item numbers, this order came up as overcharged and it was sent to the bin. But when the reviewer looked at this order, one of the rules by which they could fix an order was that if the descriptions of the items 
all added up correctly, then it's a clear and obvious mistake that's easy to fix. They would fix it and the order would process. So when they added up the items, including the carving knife, not the carving fork, it came up priced exactly correct. And the order was processed. That order was $96. And we went from $84 down to $12 up. And when the final numbers were posted, the Madison, Wisconsin office had sold for the summer 311309 And the San Mateo County office had sold 311321 We won the Silver Cup by 12 bucks. Not only did every person make the difference, every order made the difference. There was not a single order that summer for less than $12. Every order mattered. We literally won by the last order of the last day, the last possible moment at the end of the race. As I said, like I wanted to hear that story again, so <laughs> it's part of why I told it. But there were some lessons I learned from that experience. And one of the key lessons is that this job is not about the knives. Our goal that summer was to sell $350,000 at Cutco. We sold $311,321, which was the highest total of any branch in the nation. But it wasn't about the knives. If you immerse yourself in aspects like competition and striving to improve, giving to your people, you'll be far more successful if you immerse yourself in those elements of what you're doing. Another lesson I learned is that people will do a lot more for a team than they'll do for themselves. The question is, how can you promote team visions that your people will buy into? How can you promote team visions that your people will buy into? And the third lesson I learned from that summer experience was that culture wins all. Culture wins all. You can be the biggest recruiter or the best trainer or the most inspirational speaker, but it also takes an amazing team culture to reach the top. I had somebody on social media make a comment in a thread the other day about, oh yeah, well, you know, culture doesn't matter unless you're winning. And it's not winning that leads to culture. It's establishing the culture that leads to winning. And so what I want to get you thinking about here is, you know, what is the culture that you want to create on the teams that you're a part of? In the organizations that you're a part of. Now, I've always described culture as the most significant attitudes that permeate a team and the consistent behaviors that result from those attitudes. So it's the way that people think, the beliefs they develop, and then what are the behaviors that come out of that, that result from those ways of thinking. And so what I'd ask you to consider here today is what are the attitudes that you want to cultivate on the teams that you're a part of? What are the beliefs you want to cultivate? What are the foundational elements of great organizational culture that you believe in? Now, I wrote a chapter in a book with Jack Canfield, and I got to thinking about the elements of culture that I've always wanted to create. And one of them is trust, which really comes down to integrity to your word. It's people doing what they say they're going to do. 
and building that relationship of trust. People know they can count on each other. Another element of culture I've always wanted to create is what I would call a spirit of cooperation. And that is founded upon an abundance mentality where everybody believes that there's more than enough success to go around for everyone. And there's a sincere level of interest in helping others to succeed for the benefit of each person. That's a key element of culture that's critical. Another key element of culture is work ethic and not necessarily working 80 hours a week or 15-hour days, though that can sometimes be necessary, but a concept that I would call greatness in the moment, which I learned in reading a book called The 12-Week Year. Greatness in the moment, bringing our best, fully engaged in what we're doing, bringing our best to every part of what we're doing. Fourth element of culture I've always wanted to create is what I would call a positive focus. And this is where people learn to quickly reframe challenges, difficult experiences. They're always looking for solutions, answers, looking forward, moving forward, moving towards what they want, not in fear of what they don't want. And the last element is consistent personal growth. It's the idea that we can only have more in life if we become more in our lives. And that striving for growth and learning is a critical element of the success that we all want to achieve. I've got a number of resources that I can share with you all that can help with these concepts. Uh, One of them is a book on creating dynamic team culture. If you go to changinglivespodcast.com, you'll see a button that says it's blue uh, and you can get this PDF. It's a fillable PDF that you can use as sort of a workbook. And I would encourage you to scoop that up if you don't already have it or even email me to send it to you. And then I really want to also say that as leaders, which you're listening to this podcast or watching this on a video, you're a leader of some sort, I'm sure. As leaders, we truly have an opportunity to change lives. We really do. And this is especially true if you're a vector manager and you're just getting into the biggest weeks of this summer right now. And let's bring our best to the challenge of changing lives and of impacting people. Change lives by cultivating strong, trusting relationships, by immersing our people in the process of achieving a vision, by demonstrating greatness in the moment, by teaching our people ideas that will help them in everything they do, not just helping people with their jobs, but helping people with their lives. That is how we can change lives. There's some great upcoming episodes on this podcast. Uh, Later on this week, Brother James is going to be featured, who is an inspiring musician. We've got Ramez Halu coming up, who's an incredible sales trainer. We've got John Israel, known as Mr. Thank You, who will teach you about the power of gratitude in your life. And we've also got some amazing Vector Cutco current leaders that are going to be featured in our upcoming episodes, including J. Brad Britton, Kathy Kristen, Jeff Gamboa, John Wasserman, and others. Thanks for listening or watching here today, everyone. Let's go build something great. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. 
I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.